0: Maybe we can draw those conversations to a close and carry on perhaps sort of after the service. Do continue catching up um, a little bit later. Um, But um, why don't I pray for Will as he comes to share with us from God's Word? Mm. Father, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you that they are your living word and that you are speaking to us even today, this morning. So, Lord, would you bless and equip Will as he shares. May he know the leading and guidance of your Holy Spirit. And please give us open ears and hearts to receive from you. Amen. Amen. Good to see you this morning. This feels like it's just bounced out. Okay, we're all right. Um, You will be aware, if you've been uh, here the last two weeks, um, that we've been going through um, a series kind of looking at... um, like, who we are as a church, like, vision, direction, like, who, who is it that God has made us, that we are now, but that he's calling us further into, um, and, um, and, and kind of, we've had two weeks. Uh, last week, we were looking at values part one. This is going to be values part two. The week before that, we looked at um, kind of something that we're calling our, our mission mandate. Um, I think it might come up on the screen in a second, but... Um, uh, which, which we framed, uh, I think it's the second slide, Jill. Amazing. Um, inviting and equipping people. This is who we are. This is our purpose as a church. Inviting and equipping people to be apprentices of Jesus. That's the heart of it all. Apprenticeship to Jesus, you know, that kind of journey of being with him, becoming like him, um, and doing the kind of things that Jesus would do if he were us. Um, being formed by him to be a visible presence of renewal where he has placed us. Like, we believe that God wants to release us, into being a presence of renewal, a presence of hope, a presence of light. In the places where he's placed us in the world, it might be the street we live on, the friendship group we exist in, the school we attend or do drop-off at, uh, the, the hobby club we're part of. Um, the family we're in, you know, with the, our kids and vice versa. Like, you know, God has placed us in different places. He's put different passions and areas of the city and the world on our hearts, and he wants to use us in those places to be a visible presence of the work that he is doing, of the final hope that he is bringing in this world. Um, last week, we did part one of values, um, and we looked at the first three values, which are being with Jesus. Like, he's our center. Being with him is like our core value. Um, And from that kind of deep formation that we want to be people who open our lives up to allowing Jesus to like transform us and change us in a real tangible way. And we want to kind of open ourselves up to that scary but beautiful work that he wants to do in us and courageous vulnerability that we want to be people who develop relationships of trust and love of one another, that we can be real and honest and, you know, honest and open about our weaknesses and our failings as much as our strengths and our celebrations so that we can journey together um, on this journey. Um, if you missed those last two weeks, I'd really encourage you, to go uh, listen online, it's on YouTube, it's on the website, it's on Spotify, it's on Apple Podcasts, you can um, download it. Um, do catch up and listen again. Um, but we're going to do part two today. Um, I want to begin with a scripture. Um, we are um, looking at Ephesians 2. Uh, I'm going to read from verse 14. In fact, I'm just going to read it off the screen. That's easier, isn't it? Um, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. And we do live in an ever increasingly kind of divided world, don't we? Like This kind of isn't new, it's kind of just transcended the centuries, but we see it in new ways all the time. It's not going away. Like, you know, ever increasingly we are in different camps, different tribes and different camps kind of sit in the corner in their echo chamber and kind of shout at one another. You know, you're either left, you're right, you're progressive, you're conservative, you're Trump, you're Biden, you're Johnson, you're Starmer, you're anti-vax, you're vax, you're Brexit, you're, you know, um, what's the opposite of Brexit? EU, remain, thank you. Um... Like, but we do. we kind of ever-increasingly dividing into these camps. The world is ever-increasingly divided. And like, it can feel quite discouraging. I don't know if this does encourage us, but it's not new. Like, this is something that was going on in the first century. It was, in fact, something that kind of had entered into the church. You had different groups of people. You had Jewish people, and you had non-Jewish people, or in the writer, uh, the language of the scriptures, Gentiles, um, different groups, different races, different cultural heritages, different experiences of life, different belief systems. And, and they didn't get on. Like, you know, the Jews kept themselves very separate from the Gentile people who in turn kind of scorned the Jews. And, you know, they'd talk about one another behind each other's backs. It wasn't particularly unified. And, and the good news is this, is that Jesus came to do something about that. Jesus came to do something about that. He came to make a way for the world to be whole again, for for, for the world to be one again, for us to be together, for us to be united. And the solution to that was this. He invited us into his family. He invited us into his family. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile, one, and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. You know, through what Jesus did on the cross, he's kind of erased these kind of like boundaries, these and divisions. And, and what's he done? It says later, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, like different groups, different tribes, but instead you're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. I don't know if you've stopped to think about the enormity of that, that we are invited into God's family. Like, and, and because we're invited into his family, like, we come together, like, you know, it's as we come closer to Jesus in his family that we come closer to one another. There is something about family that is just such a uniting, uh, it can, it's most powerful, it can be such a uniting thing. You know, if you're in a family, you're in. You know, unlike friendship, friendship's a bit more of a kind of optional thing, isn't it? Like, you can be friends with someone and the friendship can drift and it can cease, whereas family, wh- whether you walk away from it or stay in it, you're... you're you, you're still family. You can't deny that reality. And Jesus has invited us into his family as a means to kind of draw us together and make us one. And one of the things we've really noticed in our church, um, uh, through lots of different ways, it's a, a thing that comes up again and again and again in conversation, but family is a word that we often use to talk about our community. And, and that's not something actually, interestingly, you might know this or not, but that I would say is the case in every church, that there is something of a uniqueness, not you know—not no one ever does this, but to the way we talk about and view our kind of life as a community here. And it's kind of from that that we get um, the first value that I want to talk about today. Jill, I don't know if you just want to put the next slide up, which we defined as this, growing family. We. What a value to be a growing family. Um, We love to cultivate community that feels and behaves like a loving family. I know not everybody has experienced family in a positive, loving way, but family is is something that's at the heart of God. It's at the heart of what he's doing in the gospel. He brings us into his family. He redefines the reality of family. In fact, Jesus goes so far in redefining the the rules of family that he even de-emphasizes the importance of bloodline in family and up kind of s- scales, the importance of um, kind of the family of God. You know, Jesus is there one day. He's got, um, uh, He's with his disciples. They're in a house. Someone comes up to him. They say, your mother and brothers and sisters are outside. And Jesus says, who are my mother and brothers and sisters? He turns to his disciples and he says, you are my mother and brother and sisters. Those who do my father's will are my mother and brothers and sisters. I mean, that's mildly offensive and slightly mad that Jesus, it, like the way he views family, first and foremost, primarily is spiritual family. Is this? Um, and, and we at Redland want to be, and we are. Like we, we see this in the way we operate, the way we talk, the way we kind of feel, the way we view this community. Um, we want to cultivate a fam- uh, community that feels and behaves like family. We want to be the kind of family that creates relational space for others to join and is willing to adapt and reach out to those on the margins. Like, what is it that makes um, a community operate like family? It- it's a community that's kind of like committed to one another no matter What? You know, we're committed to one another irrespective of difference, irrespective of whether someone's a bit tedious or annoying. Like, it's like, you know, when you have that family, you know, at home, you know, you're committed to that slightly cranky uncle who's a bit grumpy, but you kind of invite them every year for Christmas. Why? Because they're family, because you love them. Because irrespective of whether, you, you know, they're fun in the way you'd like them to be, or you're committed to them because they're family. And that's the kind of people we are and we want to be committed to one another simply because we're family. Like, if you're part of this community, you are family, and we want to love you. You know, if if you're... If you fit the mould, or if you're different from the mould, you're family, and so you're part of this. And we want to love you, and for you to enjoy what we've got here. If if you're kind of like on the margins, and oh, just no, no, you're family. It doesn't matter if you're the second cousin once removed. Family is family, and we're committed to you no matter what. And that's the kind of way we want to be, and we feel we are as a community in this place. But we don't just want to be a family; we want to be a growing family. We want to be a growing family. We don't just want to become a kind of cozy club where we just enjoy this community for ourselves and enjoy Jesus for ourselves. We want to share him with others. We want others to come and enjoy what we've got in this community and what we know in knowing Jesus. We want to share it. We want to grow. Um, but that's not always easy. That's not always easy. Like, when family grows, it can actually be quite a sort of disorientating experience. I remember um, a few years ago, my sister got married. She's younger than me. She got married first. Um, she got married to Rich, who we love. Rich is amazing. Rich, if you're watching at home, expect you are not, but hello. Um, we love you. Um, but um, Emily and Rich got married. And um, I remember just before they got married, we went on this family holiday. It was the last family holiday we went on, the five of us. And we had such a nice time. It was great. You know, me and my sisters, we've get on really well, we get on with my parents and there's just this camaraderie, this kind of like group dynamic. It was fantastic. And Em and Rich got married and, and then anytime there was a family thing, Rich was there. Of course there was. He's, he's family, right? But I'll be honest, like at first, and it didn't last long this, but that felt a bit weird because the dynamic changed. We weren't just the five of us doing our thing in our way. There was someone else who was in here now. And it, it changed the, the feel of the group. It didn't make it worse. If anything, it, it, it made it better. Like Rich, you know, enhanced our family with his difference, his different approaches, like his diversity. You know, we were enriched by having rich there. Unhelpful worse use the word rich, I appreciate. Um, but like but I didn't not make it strange. And like since then, you know, I've got married to Katie. My sister's got married to Mark. Um, uh, My sister Emily's had Finn. She's got another baby on the way in May. We've got Seth. Like, the family's changed again. And now we've got kids. And we've gone from being this kind of adult-only family where basically we just had a jolly and did what we wanted. And all of a sudden, the dynamics changed because there's kids, and we've kind of got to accommodate them. And it's sometimes a bit inconvenient. We can't do what we want, and we can't go on the walk we'd fancy because the kids will get fed up and make our life a misery. So we don't. And, like... But that's what happens when a family grows. It changes. It changes, and that's sometimes quite strange, an experience. If we're going to be a growing family, and we do believe that's who we're called to be, that will sometimes be difficult. You'll come on a Sunday, and you'll be like, I don't know that person over there. Who are they? I don't know all those people. It feels really strange. I, I thought I knew everybody here. It felt familiar. And now there's some people who are different who I don't know. And they're in leadership roles. What's that about? I don't even know who these people are. Like this feels really strange. Like it it doesn't make it worse, but it it does feel odd. As things get bigger, like as a community grows, it's harder to kind of like track with one another in the same way. It's harder to track with everything that's going on. As a church grows, you can't know everything that's going on. Like, because it just gets too big. It's like, as my family kind of grows, you know, I used to know everything that went on in my sisters' lives because I live with them. And it was just them. They got married. They've now got kids. We're busy, you know. Like, life's got more complex. You know, I end up finding things out about my sisters from some of my friends who are also friends with them. And, and that feels weird sometimes. But, you know, as we grow as a community it'll be impossible to track with what's going on with everyone. It'll be impossible to track with what's going on in church. There'll be things that will happen that we won't know about and we won't hear about simply because it's impossible to kind of do that eternally as we kind of grow. But that's not something to be threatened by because it's actually kind of evidence of something of health happening. It's evidence of a family growing. It's a disorientating experience, but it's also a beautifying experience because the community is being increased in diversity. There's more people who image, you know, Jesus, who are becoming part of us and enriching us by their presence and their difference amongst us. We're called to be a growing family. Second, I want to read another scripture. We're going to... um He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Skipping ahead um, a little bit to verse 22. It says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. Like, we, we see in these final two chapters of uh, Revelation the final Christian hope. And the final Christian hope is not, um, you know, pie in the sky when you die. You know, it's not shoot off to heaven and, like, buzz around on a cloud chatting to a bloke with a beard. It, it's, it's, well, it's cake on your plate while you wait. It's that Jesus has kind of come to bring his kingdom, his world, down to us. You know, he's come to renew this world. We're not trying to escape it. He's coming to make it whole again and renew it. So it might be a world where there is no more war but peace. No more kind of like, um, you know, people just getting at one another and kind of just... You know, horrible tensions but kind of oneness. A world where there is no sickness but only, you know, health. A world where there is no mourning, you know, where he, he wipes the tears from our eyes, where we will be made whole in every sense of the world, where, um, where there will be justice, where there will be no kind of poor and rich, people who don't have and people who do have, where, you know, the kind of environment itself will be made whole again. This is this picture we get in Revelation. And it's this picture of a world where there's this community where, all peoples, all nations are present, you know, all races, all ages, um, all present in this city and the gates are open. Why? Because there's no danger outside of the city, but God has emphatically dealt with evil and destroyed it. Like this is the picture of the world that God is wanting to create. And this is kind of part of what we're talking about when we say that we're called as a church to be a visible presence of renewal. We're called to be a kind of example, a kind of like um, glimpse of that world that God is seeking to create. And that leads us on to our our next value, which is this. It's whole life mission. If the slide comes up, if not, I'll read off my phone. Oh, great. Personal and corporate, locally and globally, in word and in action, we want to embody what it looks like for Jesus to be in charge in every area of life. We want to be a people who, who who don't just embody some of what it looks like for Jesus to be in charge, some of this kind of vision in revelation, the bits that we like and, and are easy. We want to embody all of it. You know, it's, it, it's easy to kind of um, just live into the things that align with our preferences or what um, is, you know, suits our personality or um, or, or kind of it's just instinctive to us, but I think Jesus calls us to engage in missional living that is whole life, where we take, you know, care for God's world, this environment seriously, and we equally take, you know, serving the poor seriously and issues of injustice, and we equally take sharing the good news of Jesus seriously, and we don't feel the need to kind of like... Um, go big on one and ignore the other because, oh, it doesn't matter, we're, we're doing lots on the environment, so never mind, we're not telling them about Jesus, but hey, it's fine. Like, no, no, we, we want to kind of wrestle to hold all of these things in tension so that we're a community that shares the good news of Jesus and cares for the environment and serves the poor and stands up for issues of injustice and, you know, the rest of it. We want to fight to hold these things in tension, which will be difficult. will be difficult because you know one of the things we noticed in the discernment exercise is there was no one thing that like anybody's like gosh we're an environment church or we're an evangelism church or a justice church like they all came out in different ways and different you know people amongst us will probably be better or or have more of a heart for one of those things over and above another but we want to bring all of that into this kind of like community together and hold all those things in tension because we want to be people who live out the fullness of what it looks like for Jesus to be in charge. And, and for, you know, if Jesus is in charge, he's in charge of everything. He's not just in charge of some things. He's in charge of everything. And we want to kind of live into that reality so the world may see Jesus in us as a community. Um, lastly, um, our final value Um, Jill, if you want to... Next one. Amazing. Our final value is this. Next-gen conscious. Um, One of the things we noticed um, that's just really evident in Redland, you can go back donkey's years, is that Redland has always had a heart for younger generations. Like, you can go back to, like, Tony Baker's day, and, you know, we've always had a heart for, like, children and youth, and we've always invested really heavily in that ministry, because, because we've echoed the priority of Jesus. You know, Jesus says, you know, let the little children come to me. He elevates their voice. Why? Because they're, they're a silent voice. They're a quiet voice, you know, and, he, 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 and they're a voice that's easy to kind of be like, oh, well, you know, it's only the adults that have proper faith, really. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Anyone can come to know me, all ages. And so he elevates the kind of place of children and youth. And that's been what we've been as a community. We've invested in that work and we continue to do so. But we've also been a church that's, you know, historically been um, about kind of younger generations when I say young adults. You know, the reason that we have such a strong community in the church today is because there's a large number of people who've traveled together for 20, 30, 40 years in this community who joined when they were 20 and 30. And they joined when they were 20 and 30 because the church worked for them aged 20 and 30. And so we want to be next-gen conscious. Now, I'm going to explain what we mean by this and what we don't mean. So we want to be a church of all ages, for all ages. The next generation will always require a different kind of engagement to those who have gone before Continually engage with future generations, shaping our community so all ages can belong. This will mean creating space at the leadership table for younger voices and an intentional focus on kids and youth ministry. I want to say what I mean and what I don't mean by this. Um, we want to be a church of, of all ages. This value is not, um, and if you, if you hear this, um, you're misunderstanding me possibly because I'm, I'm speaking clumsily, but it's not about valuing younger generations more. It's about being conscious of the difference. Like, younger generations are not a kind of static reality. A 20-year-old today is inhabiting a different world, a different worldview, has different kind of experiences of life, to a 20-year-old 20 years ago who has a different experience of life to a 20-year-old 40 years ago. Like, if you were, well, all of us probably were at some point, unless we're under 20, but it, if you were a, t- a 20 year old 20 years ago, it's a different world to a, the one that a 20 year old's inhabiting today. And therefore, the kind of engagement we've got to kind of, um, the way in which we engage has got to constantly evolve because it's a moving target. It's not a static thing. You know, if you effectively engage 20 year olds today, in 10 years, you'll be effectively engaging 30-year-olds, but you probably will find that you might be missing the mark on 20-year-olds because it moves, it changes. You've got to keep kind of readjusting, keep tacking back round. And like for us, what we mean by this is it's about being next-gen conscious. It's about being conscious of that generation. It's about kind of cluing into the differences and shaping our approach accordingly. It's not about valuing younger generations more, but it is about acknowledging that if you want to engage younger, it needs needs more emphasis to be valued in the same way. You know, it needs more emphasis to be valued equally. Why? A couple of reasons. The first is this. Younger generations tend to be quieter in the church. In part because they're younger um, and therefore, you know, they have less experience of life, less confident. What does that pl- how does that play out? Well, if I change something to tomorrow, and uh, let's say those over 60 didn't like it, I'd hear about it. Like I'd know about it, people would let me know, You know, they'd, they'd probably write to me, and you know, that's fine, that's great. If I change something that those under 30 didn't like, I probably wouldn't hear about it. And what tends to happen is those people just kind of silently leave but it's not a mass exodus and it's not loud and so we don't notice and so we've got to kind of artificially elevate that voice a bit to hear it with the same level of volume you know it's the same in kind of leadership structures you know if i stick an 18 year old tomorrow on pcc you know and we think oh great well we're equally kind of represented of all ages we're not because the 18 year old is not going to have the same confidence to speak out than you know, Alan, who is amazing, you know, who's our warden, who was senior partner in a law firm for many years. You know, We're gonna to have to help that 18-year-old's voice go a bit louder to be heard with the same volume as Alan's because they're not gonna be as confident. And so what this is about is it's about being conscious of the younger generation, conscious that we're probably gonna to need to represent their perspective a bit more loudly because at the moment they're a minority voice, but they're also a quiet voice. And we do that. Why? Because we want all ages to be present. We want all ages to belong. And we want to cultivate a church which is a genuinely multi-generational, all-age church where everybody is valued. And so we want to value being next-gen conscious, aware of that group, aware of the differences, um, such that we can be a a community where everyone can belong. And so um, that is our kind of uh, last three values. We want to be a growing family. That's who we are at Redland. This family, this community who love one another and care for one another, and we want other people to come into that. We want to shape our life such that there's space for others. We want to be a community that engages in whole life mission, where everything is on the table, where we're wanting to represent everything that it means for Jesus to be in charge, and we want to be next-gen conscious. And, and what, we, what we hope this is about, what the purpose of all this is, I hope it's a bit like a kind of mirror in a science fiction film. You know, the kind of mirror that you look in and you see your future self. You know, I, I hope we can recognize something of ourselves in this, but the reason we state these things is not just so we can kind of go, oh, that's who we are, but so that we can see kind of who God is calling us deeper into. Like, success for us as a church is not going to look like expect finding the kind of new thing, silver bullet ministry that's going to solve all our problems. That simply doesn't exist. You know, the church isn't just an organization that puts on clever events to achieve successful results. I think for us, success is going to look a lot more like going deeper into being the people that God's made us to be. And I you know, there is more to mine. There is more to kind of, you know, yes, we are a community that behaves and acts like family, but there is more to see and discover on that journey of going deeper into that. And so I think the invitation of Jesus today and going forward is, is this. Come deeper. Come deeper. We name these things so that we can kind of own them such that we can push further into them such that we can go deeper. And that's his invitation today. Shall we pray? Jesus, I pray that you would take us deeper. As your church in this place, as individuals, Lord, I pray that you would take us deeper. that you would show us how that we might be even more of a kind of family in the way we behave as a community. That you would help us to change such that we might, you know, live for you in all areas of life. And Lord, challenge and highlight those areas where we've been neglectful. Come and meet with us now, I pray, Lord.